0: It's really a pleasure to be here.
1: I'm really glad that you've invited me to this here. This is Irving Carvery, a pillar of the Africville community and president of the Africville Genealogy Society. He is also the brother of Eddie Carvery, who we met in the last episode. After the destruction of Africville, Irving and Eddie took different paths as young men. The once tight-knit community became fractured. When Eddie was loud and public, Irving was working within the system to drive change.
0: Some of my worst enemies are my own people for why I don't know. I used to have my friends come up to me after a meeting and say to me, how can you do it?
1: For my good friend and co-host Eddie III, the disconnect between his grandfather and uncle's approaches weighs on his mind while eddie senior lived a defiant hermit-like existence eddie jr always wished more of the community had joined him in support of what he was doing it's something he can't hold in any longer
2: now i i got probably the the toughest question that i'm gonna ask you because <laughs> you know like i said i'm not shedding no bad light upon nobody here yeah so what from my perspective, growing up the way I seen it, you and Granddad, your brother Eddie, yeah, like you guys were the same coin, just two different sides. Like right. one was on the front right. line trenches, and the other went the other route to to, yeah. to be professional and represent yeah. the people on a higher level. Right. Why didn't you, like, what happened that you guys couldn't? Let, let me tell you. Couldn't couldn't be one no. and and and, and but really we were together and be the most super power, because you guys but, both are but remarkable we were people.
0: together. The Africville relocation was presented as a liberal and humanitarian measure to improve the living conditions of underprivileged people. What went wrong? They cheated us, and I'm one that was cheated. We didn't have to move into the city that had beautiful homes. We had beautiful homes in Africa. If you don't move at a certain time, we'll bring out the bulldozers and push your shacks over. It's time that we looked at them wrong and righted them. I know. We'd all fight to get back out
2: there. We still call it home. Can we get you to end on the note of, uh, let's hear, Africville forever?
1: Africville forever and a day. In this episode, we'll be exploring the birth of Africville with the help of Irving Carvering. The wounds from the 70s run deep within the people of Africville and the collective trauma is palpable. This podcast wants to be part of that healing process. So let's get back to Irving and Eddie.
2: Let me tell you uh, the this beginning. Is it. Tell, tell me and tell them because they want tell to know you too. Let me tell you the
0: beginning. Me, your grandfather, Eddie, your uncle, Victor, and your uncle, Dickie, the four of us, went to city council, made a presentation about compensating the people of Africville, right? And we did that. And then after we made the presentation, I said to those guys, I said, listen, look, you know what we need to do? We need to join the Africville Genealogy Society so we have an organization. Let's join the society and We'll move the society in that direction.
2: You know how stubborn he is, though, right?
0: (laughs) All three of them said, no, we don't want to belong to a group because if we belong to a group, then we'll have to go along with whatever the group. I'm independent, I'm the protester. I'm not doing it. I said, okay, then, here's here's what we're going to do from this point onward. I'm going to join the society and I'm going to push it. In that direction, your job, your role is to keep the pressure on. And keep, the, keep the news there, whatever keep you do. Keep the can, pressure yeah, that's, on, yeah. right? And as long as you're keeping pressure on, they'll want to deal with us. You got to learn from your history. Yeah. Martin Luther King mm-hmm. was successful mm-hmm. because he had a movement. But more importantly, there was Malcolm X. and There were the Black Panthers. Those people in the United States said, "How radical said,
2: did you want to deal with the situation? Who do we
0: want to deal with? Yeah, right. I think we'll deal with Dr. King. Yeah, right. But,
2: <laughs> but that's what I said. Like that's why I can't let even you take away anything from your own credentials and what you're doing because that's real. It's hard, and and what you had to put up with and sacrifice oh, is equally as important as the
0: side of the other coin. You you right? don't know the half of it. No, I don't. That's Me, why I, I'm happy and, you're here. And it's been a difficult road." But it was a road that I was prepared to travel because I knew what the work that we were doing was in the best interest of the people of Africville.
1: 50 years later, passions are still high. You just had a taste of how complex and painful Africville still is for those who live it and inherited its legacy. Everyone searching for answers had to deal with pain while fighting for justice in their own way. To understand this loss, we need to go way back in history to the beginning. But finding the truth about a black community that developed during a time of extreme racism can be difficult. If you read the history books, mm-hmm. and remember,
0: our history was written by somebody else. That's we right. never wrote our history. Our history, for us, came down through storytelling. Oral tradition. The oral tradition of, and that's how we got our history. Now, through that oral tradition, I can remember sitting in uh, grandmother's sun porch, and our great-grandfather, who we called Uncle Johnny, would tell us stories about when he was little living in Africville. And he talked about his parents, and he talked about his great parents. Mm -hmm. Now, this would have been around 1960, 1961. And at the time, Uncle Johnny would have been in his early 80s. So that meant that Uncle Johnny was born in around 1880. And if he's talking about his parents and his grandparents, that takes us way back to early 1800s. Now, the oral history has it that in 1749, when Edward Cornwallis came in to found the town of Halifax, and they, they, this is documented facts, on board hmm. ship, he had slaves. The British being very proper called them servants, Mm. but nonetheless, they were slaves. Call it what it is, right? Call it what it is. They were used to get off the ship, cut down the trees, put up the fort, build the houses, so that the garrison yeah. that was on board ship could then disembark and start residence here in the town, new town of Halifax. So this was
2: pretty much like the beginning of colonization for Halifax itself, right? Like that's when, right. When these people came, absolutely, and they got our original ancestors to dig out the roads, the trenches, build the fort, like you were saying. Yeah, this was the beginning of that.
0: Well, this was the this was the very first invasion. Yeah, good, of yeah. the Mi'kmaq people's good. land. That's right. And they brought us along with them. But mind you, we were here before that. Mm-hmm. We Our first presence here in Nova Scotia dates back to 1604 mm-hmm. with the arrival of Matthew DaCosta oh. with Samuel de Champlain and DeMonts mm-hmm. when they were in uh, Annapolis up in uh, Port Royal. Matthew DeCosta was a black man who was an interpreter. That's how far back we go.
1: So people of African descent have called Nova Scotia home for nearly 400 years. They are as much a part of Canada's fabric as any other people's. And the place that would one day become Africville was born out of circumstance in those early decades. In Halifax, after the buildings were
0: built, now Cornwallis had to feed the people that he brought here. And he had supplies on board ship, but they weren't going to last forever. Very expensive to go all the way back to England because the French in Quebec weren't giving them anything. And it was expensive to go down to the 13 colonies. So Cromwell established what was called the governor's farm. And the governor's farm was in the north end of the city in and around the Needham area. So the next job for those slaves, once they finished building, was to work the farm. So he moved the slaves to the farms. Those slaves went down over the shore and built their homes on the shores of Bedford Basin, Africville.
1: Away from the town of Halifax, they were forced to fend for themselves. As you can imagine, getting left to survive in Nova Scotia with limited supplies and knowledge of the land could have been a death sentence. Luckily, the African descended settlers found help. You know, right across from
0: Africville on the other side to Herbert, Shannon Park, yeah, yeah. Right in that cove was where the Mi'kmaq village was. Mm-hmm. Millbrook, we used to go back and forth. In our boats. Take through the basin. They'd yeah. come over to Afro, Africa, people would go over there. They intermarried. You know, there's a very close connection between people of African descent and the Mi'kmaq peoples. The Mi'kmaq peoples were the ones who who accepted us when we arrived here, who took us in the woods, As we taught did. us how, what, what uh, herbs to pick for medicine, taught us how to fish, taught us how to hunt. Was the Mi'kmaq people. They were part of our reason why we've survived this place.
2: Our family in particular, we have that connection, that tie through your mother. Oh, yeah. Who was a pillar to the African yeah.
0: community back in the time. My mother's mother, yeah. uh, Maggie Thompson, her name was Margaret Giu, full-blooded Mi'kmaq woman. Married my grandfather Finn Thompson, and my mother is is her child. So we do have ties.
1: After the first wave of enslaved peoples, more people of African descent arrived on the shores of Nova Scotia in the 1780s. Black loyalists who fought for the British in the American War of Independence had been offered freedom in return for fighting against the American independence movement. In the 1790s, Jamaican Maroons were fierce and successful freedom fighters against British rule. They were forcibly relocated to settlements around Halifax after a brutal war and a treacherous peace treaty. After the War of 1812, those slaves who had once again fought for the British against the Americans found a home here too, on the offer of a chance at freedom. It is often believed that Africville was officially born in 1848 when William Arnold and William Brown, both black settlers, bought land in Africville. That's what the records show, but Irving strongly believes Africville thrived way before then.
0: We found a, a lithograph at Dalhousie University, and the lithograph is a picture from the other side of the basin, looking back to Africville. And clearly in that lithograph, there's a community. 1835, when that was done. So there's evidence that this date of 1848 as the start of Africville is not legitimate. That's right. What that is, 1848 marks the very first land purchase In Africville. That's all that does. That's the first land purchase. Now think about it for a minute.
2: Yeah, I got to say, I I know you got your thoughts. Like for me, though, even thinking about that, like in 1848, our people were that advanced that we were owning property within this city. Do you know what I mean? Like that That's an accomplishment, especially when you look at back in history and even in the 60s, the civil rights era, how people were being treated. Yeah. It's almost like instead of progressing, we really just fell off the cliff. Regressed. That's it. And, and, and it, it wasn't all of our fault because like we've said, the system was designed this way to hold people like us back
0: from being a, a contributor positively to society. When you look at the black communities, the African Nova Scotian communities, even just here in around Halifax. Now think about it. Halifax was a town that went from Citadel Hill down to the harbor, came up as far as Cogswell Street, and south as far as Spring Garden Road. That was the whole town. The rest was wilderness. So where did they put the blacks? Way the heck out in Africville. Way to in Preston, mm. Hammonds Plains, and Beachville. Yeah. The mode of transportation was horse or oxen. Sure.
2: Yeah.
0: Right. Not many people owned horse. They no. may own an ox yeah. to pull their cart, but basically it was foot traffic. So you try and you walk from here out to Africa. That's a yeah, long you're right. hike.
1: So while Africville is now valuable real estate, converted for industrial development in the name of urban renewal at the cost of the people. Back then, it was just one of the settlements where people of African descent were allowed to call home. But that was a blessing in disguise.
0: Despite the fact of being isolated, mm-hmm. what that did provide for us it provided for us an opportunity to develop our own culture. We were not assimilated into the larger culture. We developed our own way of living, our own values that that were really, really tied to, when you look at them, tied right back to Mother Africa. And so by being isolated, we were able to continue to practice a lot of those values and traditions that we brought from the motherland. So even though it was difficult, it was a blessing in disguise because it allowed us to maintain our sense of a people. That's not to discount the treatment, the horrible treatment that we received at the hands of our oppressors. You know, the War of 1812, the British once again offered American slaves freedom if they came over to the British side, and they did. So between 1813 and 1815, roughly, around 1,500 what were called black refugees were brought here to Nova Scotia. And those black refugees started the communities of Beachville, Hammond's Plains, Lucasville, and Cobbacood Road. Because Africville was already here. Preston was already here. So that was another input. But they came with nothing. Remember, these are escaped slaves. No education. They were not educated. And they were brought here and expected, okay, you're here now. Yeah, go live. With go them. live. Yeah. Right? If you read the Hazard, that's the official record of the provincial government, would have been the colonial government back then, the petitions that came before this body about aid for the Negroes who were here. It's just heartbreaking, the descriptions that were used, how badly these people were off. You know, they were on the streets of Halifax begging. You know barefooted and we're talking Halifax in the winter time. these people were treated like they were what they were yeah, they were well, treated like slaves yeah like yeah. just cattle and the worst is they
2: were all willing to sacrifice their lives just for that chance of freedom for that that hope of to, to, to just throw that 400 years of slavery away and, and finally be somebody they yeah. were willing to sacrifice
0: that freedom meant everything yeah freedom meant having to suffer having to go through it because, you know, our people have always had our eye on the North Star. You know, there's a future, right? Tomorrow's going to be better than today. We just need to persevere. We just need to get over.
1: The city of Halifax was rife with experiences of racism and inequality. But Africville was a safe space and a place that represented a sense of belonging. The unwanted, undeveloped land that hugged the edge of the Bedford Basin, it became a haven for all peoples of African descent, regardless of which wave they were a part of. To put it into perspective of how groundbreaking this community was, When William Arnold and William Brown purchased land here, slavery had just ended in Canada 14 years before and would last another 17 years in the United States. The community of Africville hit an important milestone in 1849. It got its beating heart The Sea View African United Baptist Church opened its doors to the community.
2: And Africa had a beautiful spiritual church. It was a spirit you could just come out your door beyond the way the church, and you could feel the spirit that was in the church. Just showers of blessings would go.
0: Church was so strong in our community because we'd go through, you know, a week of having to deal with racism and all these terrible conditions. But then on Sunday when we went to church, it was like a sigh of relief.
2: Yeah, that glimmer of
0: hope, that, that reason uh, to keep fighting. That glimmer of hope and get your courage up to go back out and start another week But it was the church, that's why the church was so strong in our communities, because it gave us hope. It gave us hope for a better day. And don't forget, that the church was our places of education. Mm-hmm, because
2: there was no formal schools. There was the no day. formal
0: schools. Yeah. The church was our place of education. Tell them a little
2: bit about that, like how it was for them to have to not have a schoolroom at first to go to for volunteers, mothers, uh, wives come from the community and have to teach these children the best that they could with what the knowledge that they had accessible to themselves.
0: Exactly. We had a segregated school system. Mm-hmm.
1: So Africville now had black landowners, a vital hub in the form of a new church, and opportunities to farm, fish, and trade freely. The residents at the time may not have realized in that moment, they had founded a community that would blossom over the next 120 years. In the next episode of Africville Forever,
2: One of the things like I I always hear about poverty in Africaville and how poor they were in the shacks and stuff like that. In looking through people's pictures, I've seen, you know, everybody on Sunday dinner with their fine china and white gloves and you know the whole dresses and hats and everything. It was beautiful. It was so beautiful. There were so many myths about Africaville, how it started and uh, Uh, quality of the people and there was nothing of much value that we found anyway that was written about the community. In the first 50 years of the history the community uh, didn't have the reputation it had in the the later 50 years Uh, and that's important to understand too one black leader uh, writing around the turn of the century described Africville as a community of young people, hardworking and so forth and much is to be expected of them
1: We will explore the amazing achievements in art, culture, and sport that would grow from this small beginning. We'll uncover the industrious minds, world-class talent, and happy childhoods that define the legacy of Africville. If you wanna learn more about how you can support the fight for Africville, visit africvilleforever.com. This podcast has featured the voices of the people of Africville past, present, and future. We encourage you to seek out more stories for yourself as this show has barely scratched the surface of this incredible community. There are many more untold stories and those eager to share them. Africville Forever was hosted by Eddie Carvery III and Alfred Bergeson. It was edited by Reese Waters. The artwork was designed by Vanessa Thomas Publicity and promotion by Nzinga Malar, Mary Gibran, and Alessia Stafieri. A special thank you to Jordan Heath Rawlings and Kala Dudney. This has been a Podstarter production for the Frequency Podcast Network.